Women making waves. We know our neighbours quite well because through lockdown, it was a very nice way of actually getting to know neighbours through lockdown because we all helped each other, which I know you probably did the same as well. But I spoke to one of my neighbours the other day and it was really nice to hear about her daughter who is training with Cambridge United Girls. I mean, she must be about 14, 15 and it was great. They, all the dads, which I thought was really interesting, take turns in taking a group of the girls that live near here up to Cambridge on a Friday night so that they can train. Mm-hmm. And years ago, having children of my own, it was never a thing that you would hear about a, a girl training for a local football team. So it was for wonderful. No, no. So it was wonderful yeah. to hear about my neighbor and her daughter doing that. And it was something that, uh, I found really inspiring. I just thought, I wish I was doing that. I wish I had done that when I was 15 because I did like sport. Were you very sporty then? You, well, you were right into sport. Were you, I yeah. bet you're a netball team person. Are you in the netball team? No, no, it wasn't netball. i tell you what I was. Okay. No, it was javelin. No, no, you won't get it. It was javelin. Javelin? Yeah, yeah, javelin. Exactly. I'm glad you looked surprised there. <laughs> well, that, but that only happens once. Once a year, doesn't it? Just before sports day, when they get you out. It, I mean, our, I think our sport, our sports teachers, I think, were a bit nervous to let us near sharp objects most of the time. So only a few people would get to throw the javelin when you were doing long jump and high jump. You know, just before sports day, you'd have about three weeks of practice. Yes, so that- everybody must have looked really stecky, actually, apart from the sporty people. Like you, yeah. Well, no, it's really so you, you were doing javelin all the time. You, yeah. you were throwing that. Yeah, thing about we were all doing javelin, and it wasn't just before. And I went to a state school in London, and we had the most amazing facilities. We had a, a running track on grass outside. We had tennis courts, and we had proper javelins. We had proper metal javelins. And years ago. That's what mm. you could do. And now, of course, they've changed them and it's very plastic and it's very safety orientated. Well, it's just very fair. But we were given these javelins, these metal javelins. Proper weapons. Yeah, and they were yeah. big. They were really big. And, gosh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. That and tennis and running were my favourite. Oh, and uh, badminton. Running. Oh, I hated running. <laughs> Did you like cross country and stuff? Like that. No, 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 no. I didn't do cross country. But I think you know what it is. I, I quite liked cross country. I knew the area really well. Ah. Because it was where I lived. I lived near the school. So I knew every shortcut there was. So it was actually quite useful. I mean, we didn't get threatened. The teachers said they were watching, but how could they be? I mean, even at that age, I knew they couldn't possibly be watching everywhere. They're not superhuman. So, you know, I knew all the shortcuts. Oh, I like it. I like I, it. I could just walk, just walk. Well, I ran out of school, you know. <laughs> I ran within, within, you know, eye shot, and then, and then, just we just wandered about, took the shortcuts, and then as we hit the school again, just trotted back in, looking exhausted. So let me get this right. I must be very confused, Linda, that you did do cross country, or you didn't do cross country, or you thought you were doing cross country when you left school to get home, and you thought you'd take the shortcuts home. No, 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 no. This was during cross country. Oh. I knew all the shortcuts because uh. that's where I lived. You see. So they would tell us to go this route, and I'd think, yeah, you don't have to go that route to get back to the school. You can use this oh, route. Follow me. Follow girls. me? Were you the leader then? Were you actually? <clears throat> no, I was, I was no leader, only only a leader of shortcuts. 
because I happen to know the area very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was where I was brought up and run around on my bike as a kid. So, you know, I knew every nook and cranny of that place. So basically then, that wasn't your favourite part of school. What was your favourite part of school then, Linda, if we were going to be really honest then? I liked English. Oh. I liked English, you see. I liked oh. the English classes. That's what I was reasonably good at. Reading books. I still like reading books. And I do not read books as I run. You know, you cannot run and read a book. So <laughs> I find I find it's much, much better just to stay in bed and read a book, quite frankly, or yes. sit in the sofa. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good pastime. I think it is. It is quite interesting. We're talking about our own experience of sport, which you were shortcuts all the way back to school or oh, home yeah, when you were doing your well, cross country. Me facing the javelin moment and loving every minute of it, but not being able to do it now. But isn't it interesting, the guests that we have this week? Well, indeed, because we've got Alice Dewey, who is now the general manager of Cambridge City Football Club. But the interesting thing is, she's been involved with Cambridge City since she was a baby, actually. and She is just an absolute mm. super fan, a real, you know, real fan of the club as is her whole family. So the fact that she's now the general manager is just amazing. So brilliant conversation with Alice Dewey. And the same for our second guest, which is Little Joe, aka Joanne Graham, who is an artist. And she's been inspired to draw and paint from different perspectives. But one in particular that she is very interested in is Keys and Skulls. It's quite it's quite an interesting little subject. Well, isn't it, it is. I mean, I think she she draws lots of other things as well, but um, she is really fascinated mm. by keys and really old keys. You know these really old big iron keys that you get that are beautiful designs. She loves drawing them and skulls as well. And we'll find out uh, more about that when we chat to little Joe or Joanna Graham. <laughs> You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Little Joe, aka Joan Graham, is an artist who draws and paints mostly keys and skulls, along with artwork about her own values, emotional life, and mental experiences. Joe's mission as an artist is to empower the mind of the viewer in a positive way by using her chosen subjects. And the message that goes with her art is to encourage the viewer to think about things from a different and much more positive perspective. Welcome, Joe. It's lovely to have you here on Women Making Waves. Hello. It's really lovely to be here. Uh, Joe, I'm interested in this particular part of your career because you started your artistic career, you say, in 2004 in the tattoo industry. Now, that's quite new to me. That's I, right. I, I, I don't often meet artists who've started in the tattoo industry. There's nothing wrong with the tattoo industry whatsoever. But what, why did you start there? If I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I I didn't really realise myself at the time, but tattooing was something I was very interested in, sort of being of a slightly alternative persuasion, I suppose. Uh, it's quite a sort of rock and roll thing in a lot of um, cases to have tattoos. So I was very interested in it for that. But I think the main reason was is that I was looking for a way that I could have a career in art. I think even now there's still a sort of attitude where you can't really earn a living as an artist so 
when I saw the world of tattoos, I thought, well, that's a way I could earn a living and do art and do what I love every day. So that's kind of what attracted me to trying to become a tattooist. What's it like working in the tattoo industry? I mean, for me, it's sort of an underrated industry, isn't it? In fact, tattoo now has got some really good positive connotations. You know, when you have people that have cancer scars, they use tattoos to cover their their scars. And it's such a positive way of embracing your journey, isn't it? So what was it like working in the tattoo industry? Oh, I loved every second of it because I was able to be myself. I met really interesting people, heard really interesting stories. It was so personal about why people would have a tattoo about what they wanted to have a tattoo about. Mm. Um, It's a really positive environment and it just gave you that that freedom to be really creative. and, and, And it was really positive to sort of share that with people, you know, whether it was the people I worked with or the people that came into the shop. I think they have been very misunderstood places, but they've become a lot more popular, especially in the last sort of 25 years or so. It's become a lot more mainstream. So a lot more people are aware of tattoo studios and and that they're not these dark, dingy places anymore. They're very clean, very professional, very artistic. Tattooing itself is an absolute art form. And some of the artists in that world are just incredible. I mean, just the things they can do with that medium is just absolutely insane. I'd imagine, Joe, that you were one of these kids at school that was really good at art and the teacher must have been telling you, oh, this is your thing. Was that not true? Was everyone telling you how good you were at art? Actually, not quite really, to be honest. I loved doing art at school, but I didn't thrive in the sort of school environment when it came to art. I was always complimented on things that I'd done, but I didn't find it easy to create and do what I've wanted to do or what I wanted to say in the school environment because it was very much a curriculum where they had a rigid idea of what they wanted you to do so I struggled a bit with that actually. Well actually looking at Mm. the intro that I've just given you you really like drawing keys and skulls and and that's something that you've obviously had a journey where you've discovered things that you particularly like drawing or like studying and as you say school obviously gives you an introduction and you have to be really bold as an artist oh definitely yeah I mean the the thing with the keys and the skulls is something that's always been there in the background but it only really started to come out in my art probably about two or three years ago and I didn't really know why (laughs) at the time but I spent a little bit of time journaling and and sort of spending time with myself trying to sort of figure out what it was and then all these memories came back to me from when I was little about um, things that happened in my lifetime And yeah, the keys especially is something that really goes back a very long way to when I was very small. And that's because you lived in a Victorian house, I think, isn't it? It is very much part of it, yes. Um, I lived in a just about Victorian house. And when my dad bought the house back in the early 80s, a little bit before I was born, it was very much a renovation project, really. So the house had a lot of original features. I think the family that had had the house originally had had it since it had been built. So it had just gone through the family and then the last member of the family passed away in the 80s and my dad came to buy the house and there were still blackout blinds from the war up and I think the toilet was outside. There were (laughs) gas lamps on the wall. So he really did have to (laughs) really start to modernise it. Um, But it had all that lovely quirky charm and character of that period, like lovely wooden doors with latches and fireplaces. And it just felt really lovely and like really lived in and homely. And it sort of kind of had 
quite magic vibes, a bit of sort of Harry Potter vibes, I suppose now you'd say. It was really lucky that it survived the 70s, actually, because in the 70s, people were ripping out the fireplaces and replacing the doors for rubbishy doors. So it's, oh, it's, it's lucky that that house did survive intact. I know, yeah. I know. I saw it happen in a Victorian area that, uh, that my granny lived in. And, you know, people were taking out the most beautiful things. What well, such a shame. But anyway, oh, your, your house survived that, so it's brilliant. No, I know. it did. I know. From the art that you are producing, Joe, what do you want people to get out of it? Because you talk about how your main work is pencil, drawing subjects that represent your interests, like feelings, insecurities, and experiences, which I guess that's part of an artist's journey. But I always want to know from an artist what you want your audience to get out of it. And I I guess that's something that's probably a big question, but what personally would you like? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is a huge question. I mean, there's a couple of things. If we're going to talk about it from an actual practical art side point of view, I'd like people to look at my work and realise that if you practice and keep pissing with something you absolutely love doing, you're just going to improve. You're going to do a lot of rubbish probably in the interim, but you will just, you know, enjoy what you're doing love every minute of it and and learn as you go and the more you practice the more you do it the more you're going to improve and over time it's amazing when you look back you know how far you've come on that journey but in terms of how it makes people feel it's very much a reflection of how I've felt in my lifetime so you know I would love people to look at my work and and look at what I have to say about it and um, to realize that it's absolutely fine to be yourself don't ever be afraid of you know letting your, your tree cell shine through and it's really all about mindset and positivity in terms of the way you think about yourself and how you feel about yourself and just being totally accepting of yourself because that is something that I've really struggled with in my life you know the feeling of fitting in or you know it's it's quite hard to explain in in words sometimes that's probably why I find it easier to do it in art <laughs> I think you were saying you were quite shy at school. Yeah, very much. Yeah, very, very shy. And I just want people to sort of realise that, you know, it's absolutely fine to be who you are. It's all about a positive mindset and to look at things in a different perspective. Everything around you these days is telling you to be this or do that or live your life like that. And that doesn't always work for everybody. So it's kind of, for me, being brave enough to sort of go against that tide and and do what feels right for you. I feel really passionate about that, that you, you should follow your passion and follow what feels right to you rather than what outside influences may give you the impression you have to do in terms of living your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. To be an artist, I would say initially, uh, you know, when you are becoming more established and more confident and being in a position where you love being an artist, which is I'm sure you are now, but being an artist, when you have a conversation with somebody and you then they say, oh, what do you do? And you say, well, I'm an artist. Does it become a stumbling block or do you find people understand what being an artist is all about? To be honest with you, it has been a stumbling block. And a lot of that has really been down to how confident I feel in my own, you know, in my own shoes about it. But as I've gotten older and I've really gotten to know who I am and what I'm about and what I want to say with my art, I found it a lot easier to talk to people about it. A lot of people don't always get it. And and that's fine. It's not, you know, not every artist is always going to resonate with every single person. It's a little bit like a language, I suppose. You 
you're going to resonate for some people who you're meant to and other people not at all. Yeah, very much a language. I think what you say and how you express yourself will reach some people and it won't reach others, but another artist might reach them and not the person you reach. That's why I think it's quite important, actually. Looking at your art, Joe, it's really detailed and really beautiful. And I'm, I'm stunned to say that you're self-taught. Did you never fancy going to art college or art school? Or do you think that maybe kind of rips the soul out of things, maybe? No, not at all. I'd love to have gone to art school, if I'm honest with you. But um, when I was at school, it wasn't really something I was aware of or even presented as any kind of option to me. So I didn't really know that I'd be able to do that. Um, So if I could go back and have that time again, I think I'd totally have gone to art school. I don't know how I'd have got on at art school because I'm not a very conventional person and I don't really fit too well with conventions. But I'd love to have, I think it might have helped me on with my confidence a lot more at an earlier age and and got me a little further in some respects. So I'd love to have gone to art school. But sadly, when I was at school leaving age, it was very much about or go to college um, or stay at school or go into an admin job or go into something you know there was no real creative option which I think was such a terrible shame and I think there are probably a few people that may have felt similar to me. That is a shame. It's, it's a bit like I suppose becoming a writer not really tending to focus on the English or the literature when you're at school but finding later on that that's what you really wanted to do but you were told maybe you ought not to do it and I think for many people it's like that art is is something very similar I think it's terrific that you've taught yourself I just think it's wonderful because you you are your own person you can guide yourself where you want to be do you find that you take on some other artists and their ideas do you have any sort of connections with other artists yeah absolutely I mean I think it's very true what they say artists need other artists we sort of inspire each other whether it's through conversation or sort of building each other up or by the work that we do every artist is always going to have their own voice their own style and that's something that I would always say to anybody to to not be afraid of your own voice and your style is absolutely the whole point of of being you and and saying what you want to say because no one's going to say it the way you do and there's always going to be someone that needs to hear it but yeah connecting with other artists is is just the most amazing thing because we all see things a little differently (laughs) we all kind of understand each other so it sort of reassures you about what you're doing with your own path in it so I love connecting with other artists, definitely. And, and is there a good network of artists where you live? There is a very, it's a very creative town, actually, Bury East and Edmonds. I don't sort of have many dealings with loads of artists in the area because I'm, I'm a little bit out there on my own, I think, with what I'm doing. And I'm not a terribly social creature either, so I do need to get out a bit more, actually. But I have sort of been a member of the local art society along to demonstrations and really enjoyed chatting to people there. You know, there's creativity all around the town, actually. You've only just got to delve a little deeper to look for it. Just going back to being an artist and identifying as an artist and that that's your role in life, that's what you want to do. You were talking about how you, you gained more confidence as you get older, which is so normal. If you had a chance of talking to a younger artist who, say, has just left school or has left university, didn't study art or maybe did, how do we get across to younger people to be a little bit more confident because sometimes it's either you say they have to you have to learn that journey but wouldn't it be more interesting if they were a little bit more confident about what they do oh definitely yeah I mean I think it it's a hard one because 
some people <laughs> some people will say to you what you do is amazing and they'll encourage you to the cows come home but if you don't feel that confidence and sense of self-worth in yourself that's when it's kind of hard I was speaking to somebody young who was wanting to follow a creative path I would absolutely encourage them to really get to know who they are what they love and what they want to say and what their values are because that's really what I think a lot of people when they're making art a lot of that is kind of ingrained in what they do and it's just really a case of encouraging people not to be afraid to be them I think. You've got quite an array Joe, of different types of art that you do. What's your favourite type of art? I, I love everything that I do for a different reason I mean the portraits I, I did because I just find people so fascinating and I love to sort of really study their face you know all the lines on their skin and their eyes and just really get lost in what wondering what sort of person they might be what their story is so that's one of the the sort of draws to portrait drawing and I'm a bit of a stickler for detail so I just love trying to get something as realistic as possible but as much as I love drawing the portraits, my passion is really with the keys. And I think a lot of that is because of the childhood nostalgia I have attached to that. And also because keys are so, so symbolic and they feel so magical to me. And I can say what I want to say with them. They just really help me to express the message that I want to to put across because of the, the symbolism of it unlocking and locking and keeping safe and also that kind of connection to home, which is safe. So I can express how I want to say to people that, you, you know, if you are not happy with an element of your life, you can unlock a new way of thinking. And, and a key is often sort of a metaphor for an event or something in your life that you witness that might make you think about something a different way. So I can kind of talk about that with the symbolism of the keys. And you started working on keys, I think, around about 2020 and just about the time yeah. of lockdown as well, which is, was there was a kind of symbolism in that as well when we were all kind of locked oh, down. Yeah. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was an oh my God moment that was. I mean, I've been drawing keys and doodling them on and off for a long time and I have actually only got one surviving key drawing from about 2016. But I, um, I'd i had this urge, I just really, fa- I really fancy drawing a key again. And it was about this time of year in 2020, so January, February, I've just started doodling these keys again and having a bit of fun with it. And then we heard the whisperings of this pandemic coming across the water, didn't we? And then next thing we know, we're in lockdown. I'm fully into the swing of drawing all these keys and I sat there one day sort of drawing away and thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I'm drawing keys. We've gone into a lockdown, locks, keys, and I just went, oh, you know, my brain nearly exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the, you know, it just felt so like surreal and meant to be and and it was funny because we talk about unlocking things and symbolism with keys and you probably might remember yourself. I certainly remember watching people all around me on social media who couldn't now go to work because we had to stay at home, those of us that had to, because they had so much time on their hands. Not only did it give them the chance to sit and think about their life, you know, we've all of a sudden had to completely stop. We can't do anything. So all that kind of rat race, nine to five kind of style of living has completely stopped and now we can relax we've got time to breathe we've got time to think look around us and then you've got people who are now starting to have a go at something to fill their time so trying a hobby that they thought I've always wanted to do that and never had time or I might just give this a go and see what happens you know anything to fill their time 
And I found it so refreshing to see people bloom and blossom. And, you know, even though this was a horrible thing that was happening and it was terribly scary, so I don't want to make light of that. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, there's this other side of it where people are starting to really sort of discover something new about themselves and find something they enjoy doing. And a lot of people's lives completely changed in fact that they changed direction with their career or thought, you know what, I'm going to start living my life for me now and doing what I want to do and they're happier for it. And I just thought that was so fascinating and so sort of liberating to watch that, which is kind of what inspired the first little series of keys that I did. It was kind of a little hark to that positive side of something so horrible, you know, that it unlocked this new way of thinking and this new mindset about how we live and how we should really make the most of the time that we have doing what we love and living the way we want to. Mm. I hear some people found lockdown creative, uh, people found it very hard and and, and it's nice to hear that you didn't, but I know some people were absolutely stifled by the lockdown and it stopped their creativity. Yeah, I I just feel for them so much because we're all so different in how we, I guess, cope with things and my heart goes out to anybody that struggled with it. Because it's awful when you you can't have contact with people. And yeah, we we need human contact, don't we? But it also strikes me as everyone's very different. When you have finished a piece, wherever, if it's a portrait, sculpture, whatever, how often do you look back at your piece and study it for what it is? Do you think, right, that's it, done, sorted. I'm going to put that over there and I'm (laughs) going to let... Or do you think, oh, I could have done something better there or I could have actually that little brushstroke didn't quite do the thing it should have done? Or I don't know, what, what happens with you? Um, Well, I think I can speak for a lot of artists (laughs) when I say that I'll always look at something I've done, whether it's in the last week or a few years ago, and think, oh, I didn't quite get that bit right, or I didn't quite get that bit, or I could have done that better. So I think that's a very, very normal thing. But um, on the other hand, I do look back at things that I thought were dreadful at the time, because you spend so much time looking at something Mm. that you can't see it anymore. So that might sound a bit weird, but you can't define it. So it's good to put it to one side and not look at it for ages and go back to it. And when you do that, you know, after a couple of years even, and you look back and you think, actually, that's actually not too bad at all. I don't know why I hated that so much. So it does depend quite a lot. But I don't know if I, I ever know if anything's finished always a lot of artists will say well it's never finished but sometimes I do know when to stop and think right I'm not doing it anymore that's it and that's that and then other times I can just tweak and fiddle with it and and then end up messing it up it's a very you know I don't think there's a real um defined (laughs) answer (laughs) can you go too far I suppose you can actually you can end up kind of oh you can definitely go too far (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely overworked a lot of pieces in my time your website is very very interesting and there are stories you seem to like telling stories and explaining yeah. the thinking <laughs> behind your art which I really like <laughs> I've been in a lot of artist sites and they'll put something up with no explanation and you're thinking where is it why did you do that what is it what you know what's the story behind that I love the fact that your website is full of stories and yeah the stories behind what you do that's great oh thanks I'm so glad you said that because I sometimes think I over explain things but I can't help that and and I feel exactly the same way as you do I I've often looked at things that people have done wondered what the story was with it or why did they do it or how were they feeling at the time because you can't sort of relate or connect something unless you know what you're connecting to always and sometimes it is as simple as just looking at the colors and loving the colors connecting that way but I think if you, if there's a story or an experience, 
it's much easier to resonate or, or go, well, yeah, I understand that or I know where that person's coming from or, oh, gosh, I had that experience very similar and I'm so glad I'm not the only one. So I'm really glad you said that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I spent quite a lot of time reading through the stories and, and I thought they were great. And you've actually got a couple of them in YouTube as well where you're actually talking about them, which I think is really good as well. I prefer reading, but I, I was also listening to them as well at the same time. They're really good. Oh, lovely. I like to cater for everyone if I can. <laughs> But it is. I think I agree with Linda. It's a really good idea to explain some of the art that you do. I, I think sometimes that pulls in a, a visitor. If they don't particularly automatically go for the art, they would read a narrative and think, actually, that is quite interesting. So it's quite good. Yeah, that was the hope. Because when you look at some of the work I've done, it, you'd look at it and think, what the heck is that and why? <laughs> so I feel that I do need to kind of explain what my thinking is behind it or why I feel that way and want to make something like that because there is a point to it and there is a story and and something that I'd like to share you know that might help have a positive impact on somebody if people want to look at little joe's website it's littlejoeart.co.uk and you also take commissions as well joe don't you I do yes yes mainly for portrait drawings of pets and, and like people portraits but I'm very open to any kind of commission, particularly if you like keys. So, yeah, I'm very open to taking commissions for, for anything. You know, if I can, if I can make it happen, I will. How nervous do you get when you come to exhibit your work, or do you find now you've reached a position where you think, actually, I'm I'm okay with this? Or and where do you like to exhibit, or want your work to be exhibited? Oh, well, the first answer is I was always absolutely terrified, <laughs> especially when I'm doing a little market or a crop. So I'm sort of open to go anywhere with my work. At the moment, I've been doing craft markets so I can turn up with my work and talk to people and connect with them and explain the stories about it. I have done exhibitions in the past, which was an amazing experience to do. I've been invited to go and exhibit. That was some of the portrait work I did, and they were amazing experiences. And again, I was absolutely terrified. But it was such an enjoyable thing to do once you sort of get over those first little nervous feelings that you get. But I'd really like to be able to put my work in places where people can just come in, you know, not feel intimidated to go and have a look at it. They can take their time. They can read about it. I'd love to be there to talk to people about it as well. So, yeah, I don't know <laughs> where I'm going to end up putting my work, but anywhere that I feel I can connect with people, I suppose, or where it might resonate or, or in places that might have the sort of aesthetic that matches my work. Yeah, I'm very open. If anybody has exhibitions they're interested in inviting me to, I'm always open to that because that has been something I've done in the past. I think really the main thing I'd like to say about what I'm doing particularly with the keys I mean the skull is a whole other story we could go into it's a little bit of a grim gruesome story with a very um very poignant value to it but you know I like to sort of show my vulnerable side a bit and share so if somebody needs that if they feel similar then I'd love them to sort of come and join my little world and have a look and see what I'm doing in the hope that it might just make them feel a little bit better and a little bit more confident because we're all a bit of a work in progress I think as we go through life and you know I've certainly been so shy and, and scared of things you know and, and it's taken a lot of years of training my mindset and, and that to sort of really come 
to where I am now, which is a much better, slightly more confident place. But obviously, I've still got a long way to go. So if anybody sort of feels that themselves, then I, I hope that I can help inspire them to grow their confidence and not be afraid to be them, really. That's a really nice note to end on, actually, Jill. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much indeed, Joe. It's been lovely happy to have you on Women Making Ways from both of us. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been so lovely to talk to you. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. In August 2021, Alice Dewey became general manager of Cambridge City Football Club. But I doubt this was a surprise to those who knew her because she has been passionately involved with the club, the Lily Whites as they're known, all of her life. We're interested to learn more about Alice, so we're delighted that she's joining us on Women Making Waves today. Hi, Alice. Hello, Linda. Hello, Susie. Hello, Alice. Hi. Now, this is kind of interesting. You went to Staffordshire University and you did a BA in Geography when you left the school. What were your professional plans at that time? I certainly did. So ever since I've been a little girl, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And that's why I went on to Staffordshire University to do a geography degree, to then go on to do my teacher training and hopefully become a primary school teacher. But it's all changed. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly has. And you were a teacher after you left uni. So I was a teaching assistant for four years. Um, basically, after finishing my geography degree, I applied for my teacher training. They said I needed more experience, but I'd gone from primary school, secondary school, straight into university. And I had been working at a local primary school um, at the end of every academic year. So it was mm-hmm. sort of a bit frustrating that I need. they wanted me to get more experience. But anyway, I landed on my feet with a teaching assistant role with a little girl actually that had medical problems. Academically, she was was a very bright child and still is, but medically she needed um, sort of one-to-one support. So I worked with her and the class, which was brilliant for just under four years and then decided to change decided I didn't want to be a teacher anymore whilst working at the primary school I was also doing my volunteering at the football club and was organizing events and doing fundraising actually for the primary school as well um, and organizing different events there and actually thought I could see myself organizing events fundraising so continue to push that into my next role at a charity. Um, that was Kidney Cancer UK and you worked there for about four years. Did you enjoy that, Alice? Yes, absolutely loved it. It was a big change for me, sort of going to a desk job working for a charity, which was very small, but with a name such as Kidney Cancer UK, it can be seen as a, a national charity. The role that I took was for events and fundraising for the whole charity, but soon within about eight months was asked to step up by the chief executive to effectively be his PA and um, be in a role of development and project officer for the whole charity. The role varied in all sorts from working directly with the CEO and the trustees to getting hands-on with patients and their families, with fundraising, trying to organise events locally, which as you can imagine Um, doing them nationally was a lot more difficult and and actually 
comparing it to my role at the football club as a, a volunteer at the time and fundraising, I could organise an event in Cambridge and it, there would always be people there because our community of the football club was the supporters and in, in Cambridge, whereas we didn't have a supporter base as such in Cambridge for the charity. It was nationwide. And unfortunately, most people don't know about kidney cancer until they're affected by it, whether it be themselves or a member of family or a friend. And sadly, it's often in the very late stages of of the cancer. So it's generally, I would say, eight out of ten times those people will come into us because they were fundraising in memory of somebody, um, which, of course, was very sad. And there was many a times when we had patients or members of family that spoke to us and it was difficult to to support them and and go through it as I say it was very different to what I had done so I had to have my experience and the skills and knowledge changed quite a lot and as I say I loved it while I was there met a lot of new people went to a lot of places traveled up and down the country with it for their regular patient events that we did and heard some very very sad sad stories for those patients I can yeah, imagine. It, I mean, Alice, it's it's a pretty difficult thing anyway to work with a charity in the sense you just said you're talking to people from all sorts of perspectives, your colleagues and then, of course, the people that are going through the cancer and their families. So you had a lot to learn very quickly. Did you find you were learning very quickly? Did you take it in your stride or did you find that sometimes you would find it quite hard? Did you have mentors in the in the charity that would help you? Yeah, the the CEO certainly was a mentor for me. He was always there, always supported me with various bits and pieces, whether that be sort of admin side, talking to patients. A couple of my other colleagues were, again, very supportive in various ways. Some of them had been there since the very beginning of the charity being formed in 2000. So it it was a steep learning curve in, in various ways. But I'd like to think that the majority of things I took in my stride. And in the background, during all of this time, of course, there was the football and the football team, Cambridge City. And you were quite fanatical from from a young child, I I think, or that's what it sounds like. I certainly was, yeah. I was taken by my parents as a little girl along to games. It's a family thing, both my parents parents or were all involved and yeah I've gradually got more and more involved over the years I started probably early teens helping my father who is secretary running around as a little girl helping him with different tasks on match days um during the closed season we'd be attending tidying up the ground painting bits and pieces and yeah it's gradually progressed and 10 years ago we sadly lost our ground on Milton Road and and we've been homeless for the last 10 years there's been a lot more involvement in the fact that similar to the charity I was running events and fundraising trying to come up with various ways that we could generate funds to support the the football club and it's gradually progressed we've we've done cooking on match days for the players for the supporters whilst we were at St Ives for a period of time and then the last year I've now as you said at the beginning I'm now in a full-time role as general manager for the football club and again similar to where I was at the charity and the fact that I was dipping my fingers in lots of pies which is what I'm doing now but over the last 12 months I've also 
gained a lot more skills and knowledge with regards to construction because we're building a brand new football stadium (laughs) and I've learned an awful lot and there's lots of things with regards to civil's work the groundwork the drainage all sorts that I would have never ever thought I would have had an interest in and actually uh, people laugh at me now that know me and say gosh you've learned the lingo <laughs> I can imagine I was going to ask you about yeah. that actually how involved you were in that project and I bet you are right down, because it's all about the kind of detail isn't it when you're doing big projects like that it certainly is yeah and I've worked alongside our chairman and our project manager very closely with regards to the the groundworks and and the build from the very beginning well I say the very beginning when I started it as a full-time role Um, back in August I would probably say it was November to December time that I sort of got stuck in with the build and started learning a lot more as I say with regards to the amount of work that goes underground that no one is ever going to see again and people don't care about that side of things but for me it's been part of my role and it's been fascinating to learn all the different materials the different processes that have had to take place for everything to connect up underground there's been so many challenges with regards to the build the foundations of the main stand but also look at what we've been going on in the world for the last two years with covid um that's also put things into perspective but also challenges for us as a football club for the stadium that with the construction side of things there's been so many delays and and the price of materials has gone up so much um Mm -hmm. it's been Mm -hmm. i've been involved in sort of value engineering different parts of the project looking at different ways that we can change things but also as I say, we've been homeless for 10 years, so we need the facilities to be the best facilities that we can possibly have because it's not just going to be about the football. There's going to be non-footballing activity and we want to make the new stadium a community hub for the local village and surrounding areas. And there's going to be hospitality suites in there, isn't there? So I'm assuming that's what you're hoping to, to use to build that hub. Yeah, correct. So there's rooms of various sizes for people to hire out, whether that be businesses for meetings, conferences, whether it be community groups or people wanting a, a birthday party or a wedding. The, the facility will be there and open seven days a week for people to hire it out. And hopefully, as I say, it will become a community hub where I've already busy talking to different community groups businesses in the local area so many people wanting to utilize the facility in one way or another which is so exciting to to see and when talking to people they're excited as as well as we are they want the facility in the area and they know the benefits the facilities could bring to the local area Mm -hmm. but also for myself as a city supporter and have been involved for so long there's been times when, go back eight years ago, as six years ago even, we had the plans for the stadium, but we had the challenges of the planning application and, and losing our planning application. So the, the stresses of the ups and downs of this football club 
on the pitch yes. with our teams, but also off the pitch with the planning application and then the actual building process. So, yeah. And one must impact the other as well, because if you've got lots of drama going on in the background, it, it must be difficult for the players too, I would have thought. And to, to focus on that and get out there and, and, and you know, win every, every week. Yeah, it certainly does. And it also affects in the fact that because we've had so many delays with the stadium over the last year and a half, there's been times when the manager, Robbie, will say to players at the beginning of the season, come and play for us, we've got a new stadium coming this season. And then we've had delays, which has pushed it back. So there's those challenges, but also, as you say, the challenges during the week when there's perhaps meetings that have gone on, something's gone wrong or something's gone right, it can soon affect other people in a good way and a bad way. Like if we have the successes on the pitch um, and not on the at the stadium, then we're all going to be being happy about it and, and positive and looking forward. So I think certainly recently we've had lots of good positive feedback from lots of people with regards to the stadium build and photos and some fabulous drone footage recently to show the extent of the stadium and a couple of weeks ago we opened up the site for a community planting day and we were overwhelmed with the amount of support that came along to it it was so lovely to hear oh it's fantastic we reckon we must have had about 200 people and probably only a 50 of those were Cambridge City supporters the rest were potentially from Sawston and the surrounding areas that come down to have a look but also get involved and mm. everyone turns up at the site mm. and says mm. how big the site is and you just think why are they only just noticing that there's so many photos and videos out there but it, it hits you when you go to site and it's quite yeah. for myself as a, a city supporter but also my family it's quite emotional seeing that stadium being built now and remembering those members of family, our supporters that thought they would see the stadium, but because it's dragged on for so long, we've sadly lost them. So there's the the challenges there as well. You've got wanting to get it done quickly, and it's a very it's a it's a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I, interesting. I'd like to ask you, Alice. It, it sounds like that you you learn very quickly, or you adapt very quickly, Alice. If you could describe yourself say at the beginning, say five years ago to where you are now, would you describe yourself a little bit differently? Would you say you're a little bit more confident or would you would say that you've learnt things that you never realised you knew about yourself? What would you say about yourself and your progression so far? Oh gosh, good question. <laughs> yeah, even going back to a year ago from before I started at the uh, the football club as a full-time role to now, I'm not one to saying no. There's often different bits and pieces that happen around the football club and I'm soon happy to get stuck in and, and get that task done in whatever way possible. Nothing's, nothing's ever a, a challenge. I'll, I'll, I'll take on challenges and try and overcome them. But yeah, I'll always get involved with with everything and mm. possibly take on too much a lot of the time um <laughs> in fact I can hear my mum saying now yes you definitely take on too much and that's not just at the football club like I'll get involved with different bits and pieces in the village of I live in Sawston and have helped organize the Sawston fun run and the jubilee event we had early on in the year and now we're I'm getting involved and helping organise a couple of events for next year as well. Um, I love 
as I say, organising events. And, and I guess it's the passion for the football club as well ties in in with that because they're only they're going to be in the village of Sawston and the, the football club needs to be a, a part of everything going on in the village as well as it's a, a new new venture. How did it feel? I'm really interested in hearing. How did it feel when the post of general manager came up? Because I cannot understand this is the first full-time role in the club for a long time. Were you immediately desperate to apply for and get the role? Did you think you could get the role? How did that feel when that job came up? Yeah, um, yeah it, it certainly it certainly was. I, I, because of my passion for the football club, and we knew that we'd need somebody to be running the facilities. As I say, I destined and wanted the job because I'd... I have that love for the football club. I love love organising things. I wanted to progress the football club and take it forward and, and rise the ranks in more ways than one. It's a very exciting role and I'm incredibly proud to now be in this role, especially as a, a City supporter through and through. The potential to where this role could go and how he could build the stadium and build the football club. Yeah, I just feel that as somebody who's been involved with the club and very involved, you've done everything from painting to, you know, everything. You've done everything. I just can't imagine what it would have felt like when that role came up. And you must have been absolutely desperate to get it. (laughs) And this is a very naughty question, Alice. How would it have felt... If you'd been unsuccessful and the job had gone to somebody else, would you have been absolutely devastated? Or would you just shrugged your shoulders and thought, oh, well, you know, I'll still carry on doing the painting and, you know, fundraising and stuff like that? I would have been disappointed because I would have loved to have had taken on the role and, and the challenge of building the football club um, and the progression. But equally, it's my football club. So I would have been supportive of whoever was it got the role. I'm heavily involved in the football club. I would help that person, whoever that could have been, to build the football club and, and progress it. It's a, it's an important role for the next chapter of our football club. It wouldn't have affected me and said, right, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not hanging around. <laughs> it's all I know. I I eat. I've been around the football club for so long. So whoever and whatever direction the football club went with whoever was in the role, I would have been supportive of them, definitely. Alice, what about challenges in your role? I mean, have, I'm sure there are challenges, but do you find that the challenges as a woman or as, are, are there many women working at the club or is that something that uh, is not a problem? No, so I don't find it as a problem. The, the one challenge I've possibly had with regards to women in football is that as a supporter and more so at away games, I can be sometimes quite vocal supporting my football club and cheering them on, etc. And there's been a couple of challenges a few years ago now, but there's still challenges in the fact that men turning around and thinking, well, you're a woman, you can't have an opinion on football, you don't know nothing about football. And sometimes it, it's quite funny then when you turn around and listen to what some people say back to you. But that's mm. hopefully changing. Um, mm. There's an excellent organisation that we've recently partnered with called Her Game 2, who are working a lot on trying to stop those yeah. similar scenarios that I've just mentioned. But certainly as our football club, 
there's challenges with regards to the construction, definitely. But I can't think of any other challenges. We're a very close-knit... And I, I'm going to use the word family because we are. And, and again, I, I can hear my mum saying that we... I probably see the football people at the football club and the supporters more than I do some of my family <laughs> because we're spending so much time every Saturday. I have meetings during the week. There's board meetings, etc. So, yeah, as I say, we're very close knit and we're all very supportive, all hands on, get our hands dirty with various different bits and pieces. And everybody is a volunteer. Volunteers are crucial. Our football club wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for those volunteers. A few Cambridge City supporters that are ladies. I'm the only one on the board of directors and and the youngest. <laughs> um, but we've also got another lady on our supporters trust board of directors. So yeah, we are a minority, but that's that's not a problem. We all work together, as I say, and all very close and, and support each other. It sounds lovely. It does sound really nice, actually. And I'm about to ask you another really naughty <laughs> question, so just base yourself here, Alice. What what would happen if you were poached by another team and asked to be their general manager and say they were paying you more or whatever? What would you do? <laughs> uh, I have to laugh at that because not long after I got the job, I was talking to my neighbour and he made a comment about me being the next Karen Brady. And I laughed and thought, what planet are you on? There's no chance in that. It's, I'm only little old me and working for Cambridge City Football Club and and we've laughed about it a couple of times but in answer to your question I'd I'd have to say no sitting here now <laughs> um, it's my football club and I wouldn't see myself supporting any other football club I guess if I was to work and progress the football club as far as I could get it and then there was a, another opportunity for me to go elsewhere there's always progression and there's challenges and bits and pieces you have to take on but no I certainly couldn't see myself leaving Cambridge City Football Club it, it as I say it's now into my 30th year of uh, on the on this planet and that's 30 years of Cambridge City Football Club that I know of I think my blood is black and white <laughs> <laughs> no that's why I asked the question actually I was being really naughty because I know that football supporters yeah. that their team is their team isn't it from from when they're yeah. tiny they're on that's it that is the team is the team I thought I thought I'd be really naughty I should have said five times ten times the salary I should have gone higher there you see and tried to tempt you away <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if it was Tempting. Arsenal Football Club yeah. coming along and offering ten times, ten times ah. more. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I happen to be a scout for Arsenal, Alice. <laughs> and and Alice, what if if you were with younger women who are just coming out of university or at school, and the path that you have taken is quite phenomenal, quite frankly. But if you had to give any advice for somebody, other women who are thinking about not necessarily going into football, but into leadership, women in leadership, what would you say to them now? What would you say to your younger self if that was something that you had the opportunity to do? Do it, definitely. <laughs> definitely go and give it give it a chance. You often hear in the news there's not enough women in leadership and 
Mm-hmm. Well, we also obviously hear the, the challenges that women have in, in leadership. So it's definitely something people or women should go and give it a go and try. And they certainly shouldn't listen to people out there that are putting them down in, in various ways. There's there's a place for everybody, whether you're male or female. And there's so many opportunities for women to go out there and show what they can do. And why not try it? and enjoy it and and that's the main thing you've got to enjoy what you what you do there's no point having a job and you turn up every day and you don't don't enjoy it i think there's uh, not many people whose passion is their job as well and that sounds to me like exactly what you have alice so it's, it's been great <laughs> chatting to you today and i wish you and the club of course every luck in the future especially with your yeah, new well you. new ground it sounds like it's going to be fantastic alice Thank you. It's been lovely speaking to you both too and you're both welcome once the ground's up and running come along and and see us and, and see what it's all about. Sounds good. That's all we've got time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks go to our guests, Alice Dewey and Little Joe Artist. We're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives. So please do contact us if you know of someone we should be talking to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves. And you can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. See you next time. Bye.